George Gomez is one of the most talented designers I've ever met with one of the most interesting backstories I've ever heard. In this conversation, we learn about his New York roots, his path as a manager in the music industry, and how he ultimately ended up manifesting his creative energy through design. This is Arts and Ideas, and I'm Floyd Hall. Funding for this program is provided by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with designer George Gomez. George, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Glad to have some time with you, George. First of all, I really want you to outline your immigrant story. Where are your people from? Where did they end up? Where did Ooh. Where did you come from? Ooh, oh man, Floyd, that's a good one. Um. I don't know where I'm from and I know where I'm from. So my people are, um, my mom is from the Dominican Republic and my father is from Ecuador. Um, but that's kind of the story, you know, as far as my families on both sides are very diverse looking people. You know, you have folks that could be Euro as hell and then, you know, you have folks that are obviously African as hell. Uh, on my dad's side, we definitely have like um, indigenous bloodlines somewhere. But like a lot of places that were, you know, uh, affected by colonialism, there's just a certain separation between actually knowing how far back that history and where it goes to. But I'm pretty, pretty secure in the fact that my immigrant story goes back to. Um, Spain to uh, Africa and to indigenous people of both uh, the Dominican Republic and uh, Ecuador. Well, DR indigenous maybe just traces because you know there was a lot of slaughtering going on out there during colonial times. So who knows how much of that blood is actually you know survived had survived. Um, but from there, you know my my. My mom and my dad both uh, immigrated to New York in the 60s. Um, and my dad to Bushwick. I believe my mother was in Ridgewood. Um, and then they met uh, when my dad was working at the, uh, what was it the pharmacy at the, uh, at the bottom of the, uh, the first floor of the building my mom lived in. Uh, he loves to say that she would always come in because she had a headache and she just wanted to talk to him. Um, but yeah, that's the, Ecuador and Dominican Republic. So, you know, a gumbo of things. What was the soundtrack to your home life growing up? Oh, ooh, that's a, man. Um, that's, that's a fabulous question because that question kind of ties into multiple things. On one end, you know, um, I grew up in a very like artistic and creatively rich family. But on the other end, I didn't realize it. You know what I mean? Um, because the way that my family was creative was like not the way that you were creative in the fine arts world. 
not that way that you were stereotypically creative. You know what I mean? So like my mom uh, is, she's been, she's a baker and she's been baking, um, she's been baking maybe 36 years. Um, so yeah, she's been making 36 years, uh, self-employed and really has like, some of the greatest hands I've ever, ever, ever seen. Like her, her ability to create in detail is like barred, like second to none, second to none that I've seen. Um, but she's a baker, you know what I mean? She's not a, a an oil painter or she doesn't work in sculpture. So I guess when I was young, I didn't really consider it. And it was artistic, it was creative, but it wasn't art, you know what I mean? Um, and people marveled at her work, you know, she has homies who, who have, you know, have, uh, baking shows on TV, like, you know, very, very well respected, you know, she'll, on a random day, she'll be like, oh yeah, they called me to make a cake for Cardi B. And I'm like, oh, word, you did it? Nah, I didn't do it. It was too much hassle. And you, you know, like, that's my mom. Um, but I didn't see her in the same level as like a, a fine artist, you know? But now that I'm older, like I realize the um, my attention to detail and even like my hands, like when I do actual handwork, I have great attention to detail. Um, and that all comes from from moms, you know what I mean? Um, then my dad, uh, my dad plays uh, Latin percussions. So all kinds of, you know, skin, maracas, guida, so Saturdays, even now when you go to, you know, visit them, most Saturdays you wake up to him playing instruments over, you know, over vinyl. Um, and that's how we kind of, we came up like that. But it's, I think in some, in some ways, this is like such a typical immigrant story, you know, where you grow up with these riches, but you don't realize that they're riches because you're in this like westernized American uh, society and all the norms don't look like you. So you're like, well, this can't be the fresh shit because the TV says that's the fresh shit and mine don't look like that. So then, you know what I mean? Um, but then I had also like, uh, you know, aunts who were seamstresses, you know, my, my father worked in the garment industry um, for a while before he went into like work at the hospital. Um, so I kind of, I grew up in the garment district in some, you know, every, a bunch of weekends I would be in the garment district with dad, you know, cause dad had to work on Saturday. So I'd go in, in with him. So it's just like, I was around a lot of creativity, you know, um, the museums in New York played a huge part in that too. Cause they always took me to see things. Um, but then as far as the soundtrack, man, everything be like everything, everything, uh, you know, from, from rap to soul, to jazz, to cumbia, to salsa, merengue, um, you know, everybody from uh, Fernandito Villona to Tony Allen, P-Funk, you know, you might come in the crib and there's some Freddie Jackson playing today. So it's just, it, it, was a, it was a house that was just a lot of books, a lot of encyclopedias. Um, you know, my dad handed me Roots at like 12, 13. I was like, you should read this. I don't know if at 12, 13 I was ready for it, but you know, it blew my mind. Uh, 
and later in years later it blew my mind in different ways you know uh but yeah just a, a very 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 rich rich colorful you know a lot of smells a lot of good foods a lot of taste so very rich artistic and creative life or upbringing rather so tell me about your neighborhood like who 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 was your favorite neighbor in your neighborhood or or who always had the freshest music or just was you know the most the most on on point when it came to culture or anything like that like paint the picture of of your neighborhood and and i guess your your walk through your neighborhood as you as you began to become a young man uh-huh um multiple people uh, some people i don't even to be honest with you i don't remember their names um but i remember their imprint um and like uh on the corner when we lived on um right off of picking on four in, in east new york right on the corner there was this young dude there was this young dude who could like it, it always baffled me that he had a car and he always had bread and he was just always you know He's always hanging with like people who I perceived to be cool, women that I thought were beautiful, but he didn't seem that much older than me. You know what I mean? But in the way that he behaved and carried his life, it was just like, yo, my my G, like, what are you, thirty five? Like, how are you? How are you living like this? Um, I mean, in hindsight, now you know it was it was the nineties and it was Brooklyn, uh, so you know, and it was East New York, so we know how you would live that way. Um, but he was one of them cats. Like he put me on the kicks. Um, and for me, a lot of things start at kicks. Um, uh, he put me on the kicks and he liked the design aspect of kicks. You know, like I think had he grown up differently, had different uh, uh, access to different things, he probably would have been a designer because he would pay a lot of attention. He's the first person that told me about like um, Tinker Hatfield designing uh, Jordans. Or uh, he told me that uh, Kilgore designed the Air Force Ones. Um, so that was one of the the main dudes, you know, because everything with him was detail. You seen um, you seen Paid in Full? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what was it? Was it Mitch? Mitch and Paid in Full, who he, he would clean his kicks with the, with the toothbrush, and he had the kicks up on the shelf above his bed. And that always tripped me out because it was just like, yo, he's so clean that he's cool with sleeping with his sneakers above his head. You know what I mean? And so that was the same. That that was like that dude on my blog. Like he was just always threaded, always clean, always fresh as kicks, and and knew the the basis for what he was wearing. You know, it wasn't just like he was wearing it, and he was wearing it because it was what was cool. You know, he knew this designer, he knew that that designer, he knew about fabrics, he knew. And so he was one of the first cats that kind of got me to pay attention to design. Um, then, let me see, on the block, on the block across the street was the homie Sace. And the homie Sace, he knew his music stuff. But it was just like a crew of like four or five cats who were maybe like four or five years older than me, a couple of younger. Um, and they would just, they would stay fresh. And that, that, uh, to me, that kind of old school, like New York, uh, fashion is a big part of like why I got into design, you know, because it allowed me to pay attention to aesthetics. And then, and then you start to realize that like all these styles are, 
in the same vein as someone saying they're a postmodernist. You know what I mean? Like you're you're still taking things from your environment and creating your own styles. And then watching cats who would wear like the same kind of stuff, you know, but would have totally different styles. Like maybe you wear your rugby with like, you know, I, I didn't know it was called a French tuck, but cats was French tucking back then, like with the rugby, you know, and, and the, the jeans slung low. But then there was some cats who were more traditional with, especially like with their with their polo stuff. And they weren't going to be sagging. They were, they were wearing it like, on some on some high fashion shit um so that got me paying attention to design first and then that led to like that led to nike and and nike led to graphic design um but then as far as like cars that played a big part in in like uh in how i look at design and that was right next door there were these three uh trini brothers um and that was uh Robin, Chicky, and Harry, and they used to they used to work on cars in the backyard. You know, um, they had the nice little ample space in the yard. You could wheel your joint back there, and they 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 work on it. They'd add it. To, they'd add things to it. To it. They customize it. But they were usually more often than not, they were working on their own car. You know, on their own cars. Um, so just watching like you'd see these interested like xerox you know three series like you see all these little these little like dope boy rides and and so they were a big influence as far as that went um and then music music was kind of a little bit later because music was kind of i'd say maybe it was like towards the end of middle school begin no middle of middle school that i really started kind of like figuring out what i actually loved and that was like Tribe. Tribe and De La started that. Um, but then at the end of middle school, I got this little paper to single. Um, and it was, um, what was it? It was the Wu joint, the first Wu joint. Um, and that was, that crew, that was my homeboys, like Vichy, Mark, Chris, um, E, my boy E, my boy Will. And that was like the high school, that was a high school crew. So that's when we really, my boy Shannon, my boy James. So it was a bunch of us that were just really into, like we would say tunes, tunes. You got tunes, you got new tunes. Um, and we would trade cassettes and I got that new Woo. Oh, I made you a dub, make me a dub of that. You know, that new Smith & Wesson. Um, but then around that time, it, it, I was really, I guess, real narrow with it. It was just a lot of New York shit um, until, uh, until the chronic, like I listened to some NWA, but I wasn't on it like that. Uh, and I listened to like DLC, but I wasn't on it like that. Um, but then chronic and then, uh, and then Southern playlistic, you know, and then those two kind of opened up like a window for me. It was like, wait, it's not just, you know, New York shit going on out here. I love that 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 visual. Um, as someone who's lived in New York and lived in Brooklyn, um, I feel like there's a certain level of like nostalgia. And I feel like you kind of painted a, a picture that I could think back upon that really wasn't my era, but I could sort of see the residue of that era. 
um, mm-hmm. during the time when, when I lived there. Um, and really, all this is so fascinating because I, I feel like as as a designer in understanding your work and your your trajectory, all of these, you know, different facets from the home life to your friends on the block, everything kind of plays, you know, a bit of a role, kind of layers into what you ultimately decide to to do in life. So as you're as you're leaving high school and you're you're thinking about well actually before that, before we we get to after you leave high school, I do want to ask you this though. Yeah. Being a Brooklyn guy, um Brooklyn Queens, Brooklyn Queens, both, both. Okay. Okay, okay, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um yeah. from like a style standpoint, you know, with design and style standpoint, because um, I also live in Harlem as well. Yeah. What was what was you all's perspective of the differences in style between you know Harlem cats and and Brooklyn or Queens like what like what was your like perspective of of even like dress or just like culture that you could assess from from where you were sitting? See, my shit was I didn't buy into that stuff. You know what I mean? Like the the perception was if you were from Brooklyn. Oh, we we got that fly shit. If you from Harlem, we got that fly. So that Brooklyn shit is fly, but maybe it's a little bit more thugged out. That Harlem shit, like, oh, the motherfuckers is pretty. Um, you know, uh, I I felt like it was more about the block. Like on the block, you had that fly cat. You know, on the block, you had you you had different kind of different kind of styles on the block. You had different kind of styles within the crew. You know, every crew had that one cat that was going to wear it a little bit weird, you know. Um, so it was, to me, it was never really, I think we had differences as far as, like, what we loved, you know. Like, you know, the Air Force Ones, they're called the Uptowns for a reason, you know. Um, but for me, it was always way more, I guess also because I spent so much time in all, in a lot of the boroughs. So like, I didn't spend a ton of time in the Bronx. I, you know, I hung out there definitely a few times because I have family up there um but you know I, I went to middle school and parts of elementary in Brooklyn I went to early elementary in Queens I went to high school in Queens I spent a ton of time in the city you know um hung out in Harlem so to me it was I, I guess I stopped looking at it as like these broader different places you know um and I just started paying attention to more of the detail of it all. And like, yeah, it was like, you got thugged out cats on, you know, in every neighborhood. You got cats who like to get fly in every neighborhood. You got, you know, young women who like door knockers in every neighborhood. And and in one neighborhood, you know, it might be, you know, the, the, the Reebok classics with the straps. In the next neighborhood, it might be the, you know, the all white Air Force Ones. But those those differences to me weren't enough of a, of a difference because you still had, like I said, in every neighborhood, you still had like representatives of, of I guess what, what was more of an overall New York style. So so take me from 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 graduating high school to your next step. What was your what was your outlook <laughs> in the world? Where were you going? Where were, like what was your next step after high school? Man, I didn't know. High school. After high school, you know what I did after high school, B? I went into the U.S. Army after high school. Um, and it wasn't even like, 
some sort of life decision or some sort of like this is the plan or anything like that. It literally was like, yo, what you doing this summer? I ain't doing nothing. Yeah, you should come with us. We're gonna do this. I, you know, um, and it, it definitely was not the move for me, and it lasted a short amount of time. And uh, I mean, I still live with a, a a slight injury from that day, from those days. But that led me from there um, to FIT. Well, from there to odd jobs for like the year and some change while I figured myself out. Um, then it led me to FIT. Um, and I think one of the one of the parts of the, the the narrative that just is continuous is the it's almost like a non a combination of a non belief and a fear, you know, of not being able to make it in design. Because um, I didn't know any Latino designers. I didn't know any Black designers. You know, whenever I read about great designers, like, them cats were always, like, German, Swiss, you know, Dutch. Um, or they were, like, you know, white Americans, white New Yorkers, you know, white Madison Ave cats. So I think for a while, like, I couldn't even really believe that I was going to make this shit happen. Like, how how are you going to make that shit happen? Um, and then I went to FIT, you know, and I just started on some part-time shit. Just like, you know, I think, I believe it was my mother who suggested it. She was like, why don't you just take a class? Like, just take a class. Um, and I did, and I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I took two evening classes the next semester. Um, and then I went full time. Um, but yeah, it was always, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if it's imposter syndrome, you know, it was just kind of like, does that, do I even belong in that kind of space? You know, and I, and not saying it consciously to myself either. You know what I mean? You know, I think that's the, the real trip of it. It's not like I was sitting there being like, Hey, I don't know anyone that looks like it literally was like, this doesn't feel comfortable to me. How much of your, I mean, because you mentioned that your father worked in the garment industry, right? In mm-hmm. the garment district, actually, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. how much of that informed your your walking into that space or at least having something to even draw upon to say, I have some level of familiarity with this space, even though I may not fully recognize my my capacity in this space, there's something here that I know I can do because I've seen something, you know, in my past that relates to this. I hadn't. I hadn't really put those things together. It's like it's, it's kind of like what I was saying earlier. Is you don't really realize the wealth of knowledge you have sometimes um, because your wealth of knowledge doesn't look like what the supposed correct wealth of knowledge looks like. You know, I think especially going like I, I did a portfolio uh, uh, development class at um, a course at uh, Cooper Union. And that was kind of like where I got some of my first confidence, you know. Um, yeah, man, like I, I just I didn't equate those things because I'm looking here at portfolios and pastels and oils and or or like people who already were good at Photoshop and Illustrator and we're entering college and everything I know is self-taught. 
you know what I mean? And then I got my, my the books that I got that kind of uh, got me down the road of, of really being interested in design, as in graphic design specifically. Um, those were all books I got secondhand from my uncles who were supers at like these, you know, uh, Park Avenue and like uh, uh, South Street Seaport buildings, like all these expensive buildings. And these are all things I'm getting secondhand. So it's it's a very it's a very immigrant experience. So you're really I'm really going into it. I'm not putting the value of the the like education of heritage that I'm getting because it doesn't look like what this American shit it says it's supposed to look like. So it isn't until much later where like those worlds start to collide and I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, like we've been doing this shit you know like what i do at the museum now like i create um models like you know i haven't done one one since covid but prior to this i create models of the galleries to scale you know um and my uncles used to do that my uncles did that and basically came up for the design with the design for my grandfather's house in dominican republic you know on and so it's like all these things that i was around but the marketing of American, you know, perspectives and capitalism, you know, especially when you're young, you know, and all you want to do is fit in and not feel like an outsider, you know, you don't really put the same amount of value. So I didn't. And so I, I think if I had been able to kind of like assign that the value that it really deserved and be like, wait, I'm, it's, it's a different flavor, but I can still rock here, you know, um, I don't think I would have went into the army. I think I would have been a lot more laser focused at art school, art school, art school, art school, art school. You know, and I applied places and I got into places, but I just didn't have that same, I guess, focus on, wait, I probably have a richer upbringing than most of the people in this room. I appreciate you, you know, framing it in that in that way. Um, the heritage of of culture, I think, is, is what you talked about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, I think, valuing, intentionally, you know, valuing familial slash cultural traditions that were prevalent in your life, you were the recipient of a lot of, of insight that I'm sure, you know, has played a role, you know, in what you do now, but you didn't recognize it as, as such. But I think that it's so important to to amplify and to, like, really um call out the heritage and the culture of these immigrant experiences or i guess by western standards probably you know these non-traditional experiences that are are as valuable um as what would be considered you know um by the book if you say but what i want to get from you is how did you go from from fit to push a t or the clips i would say <laughs> That's a bar. You know, help me understand, you know, that transition. Um, all right, so around some sometime around the middle of college, um, your boy got his britches, man. Like I became this in in some ways definitely this like egomaniac who really like you seen that clip of, of Diddy, um where where he like closes a deal on the phone and he slams it down and he's like what else you got you know that was me 
you know, at a much smaller level. I wasn't making millions, but that's how I started to see myself. And not that I was modeling it after Diddy in any way, shape, or form, but like I just started feeling like, yo, what do you what what do you want to do? Because whatever you want to do, you can fuck with it, you can rock with it, you know. Um, and by my FIT, my last semester, um, and I head out to Boston. You know, I head out to Boston. I'm at MIT for a little bit. Um, I'm at Harvard for a little bit. Um, and and I'm doing web design at Harvard. And like, uh, I was working in Skip Gates' department. Um, and it wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, so there's one day I got, I have a, a huge library on my iTunes and I'm just playing music while I'm working. And one day is all these like indie bands of the time who like very few people were listening to at the time started coming on shuffle one after another after another. And it was just like, yo, what if I did that? Like some of these cats haven't even had a show yet. You know, like, what if I started doing some shows? What if I did like a, you know, a little, a little showcase with some of the, the folk I know in this music, you know, who are doing music right now? Um, so I did this like, did this showcase uh, called Fresh Produce, and that was like just as it is. I don't know if you listened to Arm and Hammer, Elucid, like. Uh, um, Earl Sweatshirt just did some stuff, just did some production on his last project. Like a, a darling of the art rap world. Like uh, he was just featured in that complex article about, you know, art rap. Um, like, so it's these cats. It was there, him, Von P, Tommy Morgan, uh, then known as Spec Boogie, now known as Rob Cage, Shay Grand, like a bunch of cats who still, who to me, like I, I see them as like working MCs, you know, they they rap, they make their music, they got a ton of other stuff. Like my homeboy Don from Tony Morgan, you know, he does the Tony Morgan stuff, he does his solo stuff, but you know, he also did a ton of the music for Wyatt Senac's uh HBO series. Um he also wrote Donald Trump for uh who was that for? You remember that Donald Trump? I don't know if you saw that clip. Uh John Oliver on HBO. So it's like my crew it, that became the crew and it was just a bunch of young cats who were designing being creative making music and that became kind of like my 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 east coast crew my new york crew um around the same time i headed out to uh cali los angeles and i had gotten from a friend of mine i hadn't gotten i stole like let's be real i stole uh she had <laughs> she had a cd this band jay Davis. Um, and I know a lot of people don't really know Jay Davey, but a lot of people do. Um, and she had the CD and she wouldn't let me get a copy. So she went to take a shower and I just burned the copy. Boop. Dropped it in my bag. Uh, and when I went out to LA, um, I linked up with them. And that was just kind of, it was just kind of like a roller coaster for, 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 for a couple of years where like I went there to kick it. And next thing you know, you know, I blink and we're leaving Europe on tour, you know, or, you know, we're doing Detroit through Canada, down the East Coast, ending here in Atlanta. And it just, it, it just kind of happened. It wasn't something that I planned. It wasn't that it was like, you know, my dream to, it just kind of, 
you know, I just finished design school. I just quit a job at Harvard. You know, my mom was not happy, you know. Um, but, you know, we ended up playing Radio City Music Hall with The Roots and with Chappelle and with Padu. And, you know, it, it, it turned into this larger than life thing. Um, and I made a lot of friends. And I, a lot of people, I didn't stay in the industry, but I met a lot of people. Um, so one of those people ended up being uh, Jay Davies' manager after uh, after me, um, and that was the homie Vision. And Vision, I think now who is Vision with now? He was with Nerd. Uh, he was with Usher for a while. You know, tour manager extraordinaire. Um, he's with what is DJ's name? Um, can't remember, but. Um, He's the one who called me one day, you know, because he'd always be like, yo, such and such is going on the road. They're looking for somebody. You interested? No, nah, I'm good. No, nah, I'm good. And then one day he hit me up and he was like, yo, uh, Push and T's looking for someone. I was like, oh, I like Push. I fuck with Push. I could sit, a, I could sit you know, all, a couple nights a, a week watching Push and T shows. Um, so got on the horn with uh, Steven Victor. And uh, Young Day Day, rest in peace to Young Day Day. Uh, and we talked it over and I came on board. Um, but it didn't last long, B, you know, because that was really kind of like the, the, the final moment that I really needed to, to solidify. Like, dude, you want to design it and that's all you want to do, you know, because number one, they weren't getting the best of me, you know, because my head was in other places. Um, and number two, even at that kind of a level, you know, working with an artist where you get that much access, that much, uh, that much traveling, you know, that much pay, um, yeah, I, it, it couldn't keep me there. I wasn't interested. You know what I mean? Um, so I did. That was 2014. Yeah, it was 2014. Um, I did springtime with them, and by the summer, I was out. You know. Took Eli to uh, the Bonnaroo, me, Christy, and Eli Bonnaroo, and he played in the mud and saw Janelle Monet and got on stage uh, between shows and said hello into a microphone and 20,000 people yelled back. And, you know, like he got some real cool experiences out of it, but it really proved to me, it's like, homie, if you in this kind of position and you don't, and you don't want to be here, then this ain't, you know, it's, it's designed. Like, go do what you want to do. You know, stop wasting your own time. So when you when you make that transition and you 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 pivot to um designer, you know, full time per se, um, or just as you make that that career slash personal shift, what was your first big project that you thought really um got you got you settled um into this like new role or this new path like what was the first project that you really felt 
um, confident about, excited about, and really kind of was the, the springboard for, for where you are now? There's two of them. There's two. Um, it's uh, Flux and All Fourth Ward. Um, and uh, Tony Morgan abandoned theme park. Flux, um, because like I've worked at Land of Design Festival, formerly Ma, and but I was, you know, I was handling smaller design things. I was more of like a production designer for them. Um, and Armchair and Stefanka Jardinson, they led design. And I mean, Stefan is a beast. So like, I love being able to work with him, even if it was in a small capacity. Um, but when when I met with Anne, Anne was, you know, this is uh old fourth ward, remember they got delayed. And she just gave me the like, yo, what can we do? What can we do to keep people excited? Because we're not gonna be able to do this for another month. Um, and Christy and I came up with the idea of like a daily countdown, um, and showing the art every day through this countdown. So it was we had we we had we had some ownership of it, you know. We didn't have anyone else creative directing from above. It was really just like, hey, what can y'all do with this? Um, and I'd worked on on stuff for like larger entities in the past, but just kind of like on the on the just kind of on the conceptualizing, you're often not a part of that when you're in more of a production artist role, you know. So yeah, it was definitely. Uh, Flux and then abandoned theme park. Um, that's what Tanya Morgan and those are my two aces, Don and Vaughn. Um, and I, I've mentioned them a couple of times. I don't know if you've ever listened to them, but Tanya Morgan was a rap group um, with two two gentlemen. Uh, it's a duo, and um, we did this uh, album. Uh, I designed it, abandoned theme park. And it really was just like they okay, so they their their second album is called Brooklyn Natty, and they created this city. You know, when you bought like the deluxe version of the album, it came like a welcome to the city pack. It had like uh, fake uh, menus to restaurants. I think it had a library card, an ID card. It had ads to different businesses. Um, and so you they created this whole like mythology around this second album um and then for different reasons they kind of moved away from music for a little bit um and abandoned theme park was kind of them saying like we created this whole fun world and we abandoned it um so we did like research on photos for chernobyl from chernobyl well i did research for uh photos from chernobyl because vaughn had around that time been really just interested in watching uh like youtube videos of people going into these abandoned theme parks um and it was another one of those moments where it's just like i came up with the full design concept um in maybe like 20 30 minutes knocked it out sent it to them they sent it back and it was like oh this shit is crazy um next night i did all the merch next night i did a full zine um, and I was just kind of like in a, what I felt like was a zone and not really knowing like, oh, you just getting started, homie. Um, so those two projects were huge, um, huge, huge, huge in like confidence building and making me feel like, wait, you might have something here. So for all of our listeners out there, please Google Tanya Morgan. Uh, please Google Flux Projects. You mentioned that earlier. Please Google yeah. uh, Jay Davey. 
um uh i think it was uh boudoir cinema uh one of my favorite yeah. albums uh by uh jay davy so so yeah i mean I, I think that you know those few projects represents a pretty um interesting range of work um but i do want to circle back to this concept of 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 family and culture and heritage because i think that I feel like what I, I see in you now um, as a working artist, as a professional, as as a father, thinking back to the role that your family, mom, dad, uncles, aunts, all of that played in in helping you to um, to kind of, you know, understand and how to implement, you know, these, these cultural practices and this, this, this heritage. Um, what does it feel like for you now to be able to provide a similar platform for your son to do some of those same things? Oh, that's my favorite shit in the world, B. Like by far, like by far. Well, not by far. Christy's pretty neat too. Um, <laughs> but like with Eli, um, it's it's dope not just because I can provide it. It's dope because he embraces it and he gets it and he's like he's sharp. Like he's sharp. Um and he's a better designer than some grown folk I know. Um but it's to me it's my favorite thing. Like, you know, for me my fan, my fan really is like my favorite thing and then then there's design you know and there's like food and music and hoops um but eli man i think the the main thing that i that i personally get out of it like my little selfish side of it is that uh he gets to learn these things in context you know like i i learned a lot of things that were just they were just life you know, but I think me being first generation American um, kind of allows me to not necessarily be both sides, but kind of a remember what it's like growing up with with differences and who I am. You know, because he's already faced his moments of you know being treated differently by people who are his people because the other side of him is something else. Um, I don't know that how I would have dealt with that kind of stuff without having, you know, I had parents who were very intelligent and very caring, but those were just concepts that we didn't, I don't know if we didn't discuss it or they didn't understand it, or it just wasn't a part of their world for them to even consider it. You know what I mean? So raising Eli uh, from, from a cultural standpoint, from a design standpoint, um, it's just enjoyable because he's a sponge and he wants to know everything. He is so proud to be a young black man. And he at the same exact time is just as proud to be a young Latino man. Um, and he gets just as excited about both sides of his culture, you know, but then also he's a lot like I am, like he's kind of a snob, you know, so he's also not here for all of it, <laughs> you know, um, but it's fun, man. It's I, I have a, a little tag team, a little design tag team partner, you know, and he's a lot like me, got his opinions, he's a little stubborn. You know, we designed his first zine this weekend. 
Um, and most of my suggestions got thrown right out the window, you know, uh, and you gotta be okay with that shit, you know, and, and put that designer ego aside. But it's, it truly is like, um, one of the most exciting, like specifically now, since he's uh, 11 going on 12 and he's rocking, you know, um, he just got his first order of stickers in today. You know, uh, it's fun as fuck, dude. It's so much fun. Well, we're almost finished. Um, and I got a couple more questions and then we'll be, we'll, we'll be out of here. Um, what was the last really good decision that you made? Like where you really realized like, yes, like this, this paid off in this type of way for me, either professionally or, or personally, but like, as you, as you think through decisions that you've had to, you know, choose, you know, red pill, blue pill, or go right or go left. Like what was like, the yeah. last good decision that you made? Christy. Yeah. Like deciding that this is something I wanted to pursue a, a relationship. Um, when I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of J Davy world. It, there are beautiful women everywhere because that was just the vibe, you know, uh, the vibe was real sexy, you know, uh, real creative. And I'm like, you know, I'm 20 something. I'm having a blast. Um, and then I heard that, you know, me and Christy have been friends for a while. And I heard through a mutual friend like, yeah, you know, you know, she got that man, but that ain't, you know, it don't look like that's working out. And um, in a lot of ways, man, I chose to, like, crazy as it may sound to some people, I chose to, like, hang it all up and go, like, have a family and fall in love. Um, and for a long time, when I wasn't calling myself a designer, you know, after the recession, I couldn't find work. And I'm cutting meat at Whole Foods, you know, um, and she introduces people to me and when when she when she introduces me to people like in more professional settings or like in galleries she would tell people that i was a designer and like i'm not one to like get into it with her in front of people but afterwards i'll be like yeah you need to stop doing that like i don't design like i work at whole foods you know i'm cutting meat you know i'm working towards these stock op stock options but you know like i don't design so you need to stop saying that okay thing designer you know and it was just her insistence on like this is what you are because this is how you speak this is how you look at things this is how this is how you live and you can't really run from that like i wouldn't be where i am uh right now and i don't know if that's that means that i'd be in a worse place you know but the kind of the, the fulfillment i feel doing my work um I wouldn't be there without her, without her uh, supporting, but also without her being a pain in the ass about it sometimes. So sometimes I didn't want to hear that shit, you know? Um, but like I said, that's how I live my life. Everything that I enjoy that I like, I, I, it all centers around design in some way, shape, or form. Dude, I was playing 2K. Um, well, not playing. I, I turn on 2K sometimes, and... All I do is like design a court, design some jerseys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'll spend like hours doing that shit. So it's like if everything you do surround is surround you know, I'm watching a movie and I'm ooh, what typeface is that? So it's just it's always it was it's been in me for a long time, but she wouldn't let me forget it, even though I was trying to forget it. 
I love that. I love that. Um, and shout out to, to uh, Christy, um, your wife, Christy, yeah. as, as you know, she's a amazing creative in her, her own right. Um, and that should be recognized and amplified. Um, Not bad to interrupt you, B, but like she really in this household, she is the, the, the driving creative force, you know, but I think in a lot of ways it's the same as it was for me. Uh, you don't see people that look like you doing things and it's difficult to believe that you or maybe not even difficult but you just don't even entertain the concept at times you know but like she she has better she can draw better than everybody in this house she can write better than everybody in this house uh she'll sit here and annoyingly correct my design shit sometimes because i'll miss something and she is definitely the, the driving creative force in this house talk about having access to people who are doing things we want to do or seeing examples of that or role models around that. And this is not even asking you to find like the right answer, but just wanting to get your thoughts on it. Like what, what would you like to see as far as how, how we can close the gap between people like yourself growing up, you know, not knowing or not having examples to to look up to and and those who are actually doing it still now like how do we how, how do we close that gap between those who might have the interest and the talent and those who are still doing it right now um i mean i think this is one of the ways what you're doing you know and and a lot of the uh the podcasters and journalists and and you know websites that are and and feeds that are giving uh that are highlighting people who are doing this work that don't look like the supposed norm, um, the marketed norm. Um, I think it's it's super important, you know, uh, because it also normalizes so much. You know, the American dream is to make it, you know, but the American dream is not to work really hard and fight through things that may seem insurmountable and feel like you're going to fail and fail a bunch of times and then make. You know what I mean? And and for me, like my journey wasn't as talented as I, I in hindsight as I see that I was in design school. Um, there were parts of me that wouldn't, you know, just wouldn't assume that this is where I would end up. You know, but having those conversations, highlighting these people, because this generation is on some other shit too. Like the amount of kids who design who look like everyone, who look like no one, who look, you know, who represent a ton of different cultures. Like, it's so much more open now. Um, well, I think that and, and being open to mentorship, you know, and, and not necessarily having having to have it be this definitive, like, mentor-mentee relationship, but just reaching out to young designers, you know, like, I talk to Talicia Tucker fairly often. I talk to young Jade. You know, Jade Carter, um, Florista, uh, you know, all folks that are younger than me who design. Um, and to me, it's just important, like, 
for us to talk about, you know, patterns and typefaces and it's important. And, and you know, since pandemic, I haven't kept up as much because I've been so focused on the fam, but it's always something that with some sort of regularity, I reach out to a nice group of folks. And it's not just designers also, like I have some knowledge in the music industry. So like I talk to Bosco fairly often, you know, um, and not on some, I think for me is not marketing and monetizing everything. You know what I'm saying? I don't talk to Bosco so that I can put a consultant fee to it or so I can add it to, you know, my CV or some shit. Like that's just the young homie. This is one of the first people I met when I moved to Atlanta. And now, you know, she's still, you know, growing as Bosco and kicking ass as Bosco in music. So we have a relatable, a relate, uh, uh, not a relatable, but we have, uh, some familiarity in that world and then also she's in design now which is also my world you know so for me it's just being there to be an ear to give advice when it's needed um and to do it in your everyday life like not everything has to be a panel not everything has to be a nonprofit. like just reach out to motherfuckers be you know sometimes that's way more impactful than having all these uh official moments and events and titles and programs um, and it's not, again, it's not to belittle those things. I just feel like for me personally, I like to do more of the one-on-one interaction. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, last thing for me, and going to get you out of here on, on, on this, um, what is your, what's your favorite word or, or maybe even in your case as a designer, favorite word or your favorite font? Um, Favorite font. I know if my like my design school homies listen to this. It's like it's not a font; it's a typeface. Or typeface. Um, yes. Forgive, forgive, <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me. I'm a layman. I'm a layman. I, I I call it font too. Don't worry about that. Um. Favorite, favorite, favorite. Right now, I don't know because that changes often. That definitely changes often. Um, right now, um, currently it's monument. Um, I believe it's Monument Grotesque. I'm working on that. I'm using that right now to work on Julie Maretu. Um And it's just, I like typefaces. I like very traditional typefaces, like things that have so little character that they have character. You know, um, so it, it's almost like a, that's almost like a Haas or like a, almost even like a Helvetica, but with like rounded corners. So it has almost like this like little spy agency feel to it. Um, not even spy agency, a uh, 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 private detective, you know what I'm saying? Like on the door. Um, so I like that a lot. Um, Sharp, is, Sharp is fun. Like Sharp has been a little overplayed in the last few years, but it's fun. Um, I don't know, man. Typefaces is just, that should, that's like asking me my favorite group. That's hard to, that's hard to, 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 uh, to narrow down. Wait, what was the other? What was the other half of the question? The other question was your favorite word. So favorite, favorite, favorite typeface. Word. Yeah. So so right now you said your your favorite typeface is monument or I guess monument grotesque, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say and, that right now, currently. Okay, okay. Um, but, but favorite word. A favorite word of yours, yes. I mean, number one is it's going to be a curse. Oh, for it's sure. Yeah, it's gonna be shit or fuck. 
Um, because everything is shit. Pass me that shit. What's up with that shit? Are we going to that shit? Um, and I mean, uh, for me, language, you know, I got that kind of like half New York, kind of like half uh, college educated nerd thing going. Um, and I love the punctuation of curses. And I know some people are extremely turned off by it. And your respect, you know, like my in-laws don't not like foul language. I don't curse around them, you know. Um, but in day-to-day life, I have a pretty foul mouth. Um, so there's that, but also B. I, I say B quite often, and it's not just like some uh, blind New York tick. Um, you know, we moved to East New York. East New York was interesting, but it was real raw. You know, we lived kind of like on right on the edge, like towards Ozone Park, Queens. Um, but those years in East New York, especially when I started hanging out on my own and going to see my homies and going deeper into East New York, you know, you'd see, you'd see certain shit that maybe as a, you know, 15, 16, you know, 14 year old, maybe you shouldn't be seeing. Um, you know, and you're talking about this is towards the end of the crack era or the crack epidemic. Um, so it's just, it, to me, it's important for me to remember those times. For me, it's real important for me to remember where I come from and to, you know, subtly remind people that, you know, this is where we come from, man. This is, this is, this is Queens. This is Brooklyn. Uh, you know, not on some arrogant shit. Cause I got just as much love for LA, for the Bay, for Atlanta, you know, Toronto, like, but in a lot of ways, like some of us weren't supposed to make it out of there, whether we were doing the right thing or not, you know, just because it was a, it was a harsh time. Like a lot of those rap songs are not, it's not bullshit. That's how there were some parts of New York City that were that rough. Um, so for me, the foul mouth, the B, you know, kind of like some of the, some of the language I use is very purposeful. It's very purposeful because at the end of the day, you know, I may not have that more traditional route to get to where I'm going, but I still fucking cook, me. You know what I mean? And I want motherfuckers to remember that people that look like me that come from where I come from, the both the good and the bad, like, you often don't give them a chance. So it's like that Lauren Hill shit, you know, after all her rhetoric and her theories, she had a motherfucker, so you ignorant, mm, hear me? So it's, it's that shit fuck and be all fall into that george gomez designer extraordinaire george <laughs> thank you yeah man we gotta do it more often <laughs>